today we're going to be looking at Ephesians again. If you want to open your Bibles and go to Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to be talking about some of our everyday relationships and what it looks like when we are controlled by the Holy Spirit, how that then shows up in our everyday relationships. One of those relationships will be that of the relationship in our marriages. And I came across one of these things online where it said, you know, the top 25 tweets by husbands and wives about their spouses. And I pulled a few of these out that kind of jumped out at me as we'll be looking at this kind of relationship today. Here's, here's a tweet that went out from a husband. He says, guys, I need your help. I'm in the middle of an argument with my wife. She said I'm right. What in the world do I do next? This one, my, from a wife's perspective, my husband upset me so much today that I got back at him by hiding his keys where he will never find them, in the spot where we keep our keys. <laughs> this uh, husband tweeted, my wife just screamed, you're not even listening to me, are you? What a weird way to start a conversation. And then this one, as my wife kissed us goodbye and headed out for her girl's trip, she said, I hope the house is as clean as I left it when I get back. I should just check into a hotel with the kids for the weekend, right? <laughs> That's good advice. Now, all of us exist in relationships with others. All of us spend time in the workplace with people we work with, those who maybe work for us or we work for them. All of us have some connection to family or maybe even in our homes. We have children still living with us. We're still raising our kids. Some of us uh, also are married, and there is that married relationship. We've been looking at this wonderful book written by the Apostle Paul in the first century to the first century church in the Roman city of Ephesus. The first three chapters of the book emphasize who we are in Christ, kind of the doctrinal, theological perspective of being rescued by Christ and by his grace and being his and what that means as we stand before God in Jesus. And then chapters four through six talk about now how do we live based on that reality of who we are in Christ as followers of Jesus, how do we live in this world? We came to chapter five, it talked about how we need to walk in love because of the love God has shown us, we now need to show that love to others. As we came to chapter 5, verse 18, we looked at verses 18 of Ephesians 5 through 21, and we saw there that command to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I just want you to visualize the passage we're going to look at today. It really starts back at Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18, and it goes through Ephesians chapter 6, verse 9. And it begins with that verse that we looked at several weeks ago, don't be filled or controlled by substances like wine, but be controlled, be filled with the Holy Spirit, be yielded to God the Holy Spirit's control of your thoughts and your attitude, your relationships, your behaviors. When he has control of that, as we saw in verse 18, when we're controlled by the Holy Spirit, then there's joy that comes out of our lives because the Holy Spirit is in control. We have a song in our heart. Then there is gratitude that fills our hearts, and, and we're known as thankful people. And then thirdly, in verse 21, the third way in which there's evidence of the Holy Spirit's control in our lives is there is a humility that permeates our lives and emanates from our lives and that other people notice. Humility is really the theme today because as we pick up in verse 21 where it says that we're to be submitting to one another, in mutual submission to each other, in reverence for Christ, it then gives us 
some relationships, everyday relationships, and what that looks like when we're controlled by the Spirit and humility shows up in our everyday relationships. Humility is critical, not only in our relationship to God, but to others. And before we can even begin to be controlled by the Spirit or have the kind of joy and gratitude and humility that comes from His having control, we have to be humble before God in saving faith. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7 says, So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Before you can begin to understand what we're going to talk about in this passage today, in these three areas in which humility is lived out in our everyday relationships, you have to have come to that place where you understand that you fall short of the holy God who made you, but he loves you and sent Jesus to die, to be buried, and to be raised for you. So as you express your faith in him, you experience his saving grace, and he makes you his child now and forever. And if you have heard me talk about that week in and week out, or you've had a Christian friend share that with you, or maybe even today it's, it's catching you in a different way, or it's the first time you've heard that God loves you and wants a relationship with you through Jesus, can I just encourage you to trust Christ to save you today? That is the beginning of anything we're going to talk about today. That's the first step in humility. And if you're in the room or you're joining us online, you can text the name Jesus to the number below me on the screen if you've got questions about what it means to have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus. Or maybe recently, even today, you've put your faith in Christ. We'll celebrate with you. Just text the name Jesus to that number, and we'll get you some resources and what it means now to walk with him. We'll reach out to you this week, someone on our team, to help you in this journey, to celebrate with you that you're putting your faith in Christ. If you're here on campus, uh, our care and prayer team will be down front after the service. You can speak to someone down front here. You can speak to me in the lobby. But before anything I'm going to talk about today can even be true of your life, you have to have humbled yourself before God and trusted Jesus as your Savior. And then that humility, that starting point, begins to shape who we are so that we can even yield ourselves to the Spirit of God's control. Pastor and author John Piper says, every good thing in the Christian life grows in the soil of humility. Without humility, every virtue and every grace withers. That's why Calvin said humility is first, second, and third in the Christian faith. Humility is critical to our walk with Christ. Humility is critical if we're going to live and love like Jesus in our everyday relationships. There was a time after Jesus had spent almost those three years discipling his inner circle of 12, those we call his disciples. And uh, there was a time late in his life, just before he's going to Jerusalem for that final week and to actually go to the cross, that one of the mothers of two of the disciples comes and she says, Jesus, in your kingdom, when you set up your kingdom, can one of my sons be on your right and one of them be on your left? And, and Jesus, can they, they be in charge like with you, you know, one of the princes in your kingdom? And the other disciples hear about this, and there's some tension. They're upset with the two, and the two are upset with their mom and upset with the disciples. And Jesus says, come over here. And he gets his disciples together, and he says, look. And he says in Mark 10, 45, I didn't come here to be served. I came to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. In the world, there's this, this power structure that if you're in charge and you crush those under you and you, you take that authority and you utilize that and you leverage that for your own good. And he said, that's not how it's going to be in my kingdom. He says, if you want to be great in my kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. And then in the upper room, the night before he's crucified, Jesus would actually live that out. 
with those disciples, he had a close relationship. While, while they're sharing a meal, that final meal, facing the cross the next day, he got up and took the role of the lowliest servant in any household, and he washed the grimy feet of his disciples. And as he washed their feet, he washed the feet of men who would just in hours abandon him. One of them would betray him. One of them would deny him. And he bowed down and washed their feet. He'd been the teacher. He'd been the rabbi, the Lord. They'd followed him. He's facing the cross and he demonstrates humility. And he turns the power structures upside down when he says to them in John 13, do you understand what I've done for you? After he's washed their feet, he says this, you call me teacher and Lord and rightly so for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Jesus taught us that in his kingdom, as we're controlled by the Spirit and humility flows from our lives, we're going to be foot washers of the people around us in our everyday relationships. We're going to have a servant mindship, a servant heart in how we handle our everyday relationships. Now, if we go back to what I was mentioning about how this passage we're looking at is structured, you understand that, that of course, as we're controlled by the Spirit, then there's joy, gratitude, and humility. Now, from verse 21, where it says, submitting ourselves... In rever to one another in reverence to Christ. Then he, the apostle Paul, in the direction of the Spirit of God, in chapter 5, verse 22, through chapter 6, verse 9, gives three examples of being controlled by the Spirit so that humility shines through your life. And, and the first one is in our marriages. In the most intimate of all human relationships between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, and the commitment of marriage, there's to be humility. Then he talks about in the home with parents and children. We'll see that in chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. And then Paul gives the final illustration of where this humility is lived out, where there is this mutual submission to one another in the workplace. Today I want to talk about what everyday foot washing looks like when we are we are willing to serve others in the relationships we experience on a daily basis. We're gonna see this as we look at this last section of Ephesians 5 and the first part of Ephesians chapter six. When the Holy Spirit completely controls us, humility permeates our everyday relationships in such a way that we are known more for stooping down to serve others than we are for rising up to lead them. You see, in the world's mindset, in human relationships, in this broken, fallen, sinful world, it's you gotta get power, you gotta be in control. But in Christ's kingdom, it's about stooping down and serving others. Even your spouse, even your kids, your coworkers, your supervisors, your subordinates. Again, verse 21 of Ephesians 5, after it says, be controlled with the Spirit, joy and gratitude, then it says, verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, out of following his example, living out the reality of Christ. 
Now, if you're following along in a take note, you're here in the room, or maybe you've joined us online, I, I just want to say to you that we're going to do things a little upside down today. I'm actually going to start with point number three, and then go to point number two, and then go to point number one, because I think you understand the flow of this. This passage, sometimes we land on the, the first part about this, wives submitting to husbands, husbands loving their wives, and we miss what the broad brushstrokes are. And so I want us to see the last two relational settings that humility is to be lived out where we're to be washing one another's feet so we can better understand that which takes place in the marriage relationship. Let's look first of all at how we are everyday foot washers like Christ demonstrating humility under the control of the Spirit in our workplaces. In our workplaces, chapter six, verses five through nine. And I think these screens have been blinking or else I'm slightly stroking out or something here, right? It's not just me. So hopefully, uh, the, we're going to have our scripture reading from Pastor Curtis Johnson, our adult ministries pastor, and watch the screen as he reads chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. We read slaves and masters in this passage, it of course grips us because as Americans, we know the horror of what slavery was historically in our nation. But in the situation into which Paul is writing, this was much more of an economic thing than it was a dominance of other people. And so this would be like in the early colonies in America where someone might say, I want to cross the ocean to the new world. And they would commit, someone would pay their passage, but they'd commit to working on a farm for a couple of years and they would work off that debt and they were slaves to their masters. It was an economic situation. Today, the best parallel would be the relationship between an employer and an employee, someone who oversees someone else. And look what's, what's said here to the employee, if you will. In verse 7, it says, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. He kind of summarizes what's important for the employee. You do what you do as if you're doing it for the Lord. And then it talks to the bosses, the employers, the supervisors in verse 9. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there's no favoritism with him. You have this commonality with those who work for you because you're both made by the same creator. You're made equal and you're both gonna give an account to him one day. And so don't think of yourself as high and mighty over this individual, even if you have a position of authority. Treat them well. And so what does that mean in terms of how humility is played out. How do we wash the feet of one another in the workplace? How is there this mutual submission to one another? Well, first of all, for the employee, it's, it's this. Make sure your superiors feel supported through your enthusiastic effort for them. Even if you don't like them, you don't think they're the smartest leader you've had or they, they got everything right, you, you work for them like you would work for Jesus himself. You work with that spirit. What does it mean to the employer? 
Make sure your subordinates feel treasured because there is an equality you have with them. They have dignity and value. Treat them as such. Make sure your subordinates feel treasured through your empathetic commonality with them. Don't don't see yourself as high and mighty and, and, and they're lower than you. We're equal even when there is structure of responsibility and authority. So there is this co-submission where the employee says, I'm going to work as if I'm working for Jesus. And, and that's the employee. And the employer is submissive, being submitting to the other by treasuring them and treating them with dignity and not harshness. And there is this co-submission that it is experienced in the workplace. Remember my first job, I was 14 years old. I worked for a good Christian man, the uh, Minimum wage at the time, I think, was $3.10. He was a good Christian man. He paid me a dollar an hour under the table. Um, But I started working for him at spring break, and then I uh, worked for him in the early part of the summer for most of my high school years. And I remember that first summer, it was so hot. It was like 110 in the greenhouses there at Johnson's Greenhouse in Mishawaka, Indiana. And it was really hot, and we had benches and just a number of buildings of greenhouses that had flowers and plants on them, thousands. And the benches were like mesh wire. And so as you watered the plants and you fertilized the plants, uh, the water and the fertilizer would fall below. We had some of the healthiest and hardiest weeds that grew under the tables, the benches. And uh, my boss, the owner of the greenhouse, would assign me to pull weeds, sometimes eight hours a day, 110 degrees, all the humidity, the moisture in there. And I'd be under these benches, and I'm pulling weeds, and I had a terrible, I, this, is not, this was not great at all. And I remember there was a Christian woman there, and she could tell I was really struggling with my attitude and just didn't like this and thought, this is not what I would like to do uh, for eight hours. And uh, I remember she said, you know, there's, as a follower of Christ, whatever we do, we're supposed to do, not just for our boss, but we do it for the Lord. So now I was pulling weeds for Jesus. <laughs> It sounds silly, but whatever you do, whether you, you work in an office or you work in a warehouse or you work in a store or you're on set or you're in a classroom, wherever you work, if you're the employee, you, you do it as if you're doing it for Christ. And if you're the employer, you treat them with the dignity Christ would treat them with. That's the outflow of, in the workplace, someone who is controlled by the Spirit that humility flowing for them so that they are being foot washers to the people around them. Secondly, the second point we want to look at is point number two, our families. It's the second space or everyday relationship setting where humility is to be played out and we're to be foot washers to one another. And this, again, is a place of mutual submission. And it makes sense to us. Again, this is a power dynamic being turned upside down. My mother quoted to me Ephesians 6, 1 a lot to me and Troy when we were growing up. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. So we know, yeah, kids should obey their parents while they're in the home. That makes sense, right? But even Paul flips it upside down. Then he tells parents how they submit to their children in this co-submission. Listen again as uh, Pastor Curtis reads Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So right away we have here in verse one, children, obey your parents. Verse two, honor your father and mother. If you're a child in the room, you're a teenager or a child, and you're still under the authority of your parents in your home, 
Uh, you need to obey your parents and honor them. If you're an adult in the room, you may not be to that stage you obey your parents any longer, but you need to honor them. Some people said to me, but my mother or father were horrible. I have a hard time with that. It doesn't mean you have to celebrate them, but it means you honor them, even in looking out for their health and their well-being, the very basic ways in which you can honor a parent. Then it says about fathers, and that could is easily be translated parents in the original. It says, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up. That, that means to nurture them in the training and instruction of the Lord. So how do children submit in this co-submission uh, to their parents? Well, here's what it is for the child. Make sure your parents feel honored through your faithful obedience to and respect for them. Children submit to their parents by obeying them and or honoring them. But what about the parent? Well, here's what the parent needs to focus on. Make sure your children feel valued through your careful nurturing of them. It says don't exasperate, don't frustrate them, don't push their buttons, don't talk down to them. You submit as a parent to the child by nurturing them, pointing their hearts to the Lord. And there's this co-submission happening because this is a result of, this is a relationship just like in the workplace that comes out of submitting to one another in the reverence, in reverence of Christ that flows out of being controlled by the Spirit. This is foot washing between parents and children. This is humility in the home. And as the employee and the employer submit to one another in their relationship. They breathe oxygen into the room for each other to flourish and be their best. And when we as parents understand how we submit to our children by not frustrating or exasperating them, but by pouring into and nurturing their lives in the Lord, then we, and as children obey their parents and honor their parents, then we pump oxygen into the atmosphere of the other and helps them flourish and thrive in the Lord. I found as a father, when my kids are young, and even now our kids are all in their 20s, all out of college, and I even now struggle with this, there are times in trying to be a good, godly dad where I've maybe blown it with one of the kids, and I've really struggled to say to them, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Even at times driving them to school thinking, okay, I need to apologize for that last night, and thinking through the words, and I don't, it was because I was so focused on me. And, you know, as, as a dad, what does that look like? If I, I don't know what kinds of gymnastics I get myself into, but a way that I submit to my kids is when I'm wrong, I admit it. That helps nurture them in the Lord. And there is this co-submission of the family. This is to be, again, this, this whole passage, just like Jesus washing the disciples' feet, turns the normal power dynamics upside down. It doesn't mean that you just let your child run rampant. No, you nurture them in the Lord. There's discipline and other things involved. But what it means is you respect them. You have humility, even toward the children in your home, even toward your grown children. We pump oxygen into the atmosphere for the other to thrive. We need to have that foot-washing approach, that servant spirit of Christ in our workplaces and in our families. But first, and now third, our marriages. Now, if you go back and you understand again, Paul's saying be controlled with the spirit. One of the evidences of that is humility. And here are three relationships. I started with the workplace so we could see the emphasis was the dynamic was upside down compared to the culture. And then we looked at child-parent. It's kind of upside down. Parents even submit to their children. And now as we understand chapter 5, verses 22 through 33, we understand that this even itself is upside down. Some of you 
where you are in your marriages. Maybe you're at a place where your marriage is great, and you should be up here talking about marriage, or you should be handling this passage because things are going great. For some of you in your marriages, you're about to call it quits, and maybe somebody used the divorce word in recent weeks for the first time. Some of you are here this morning without your spouse. They won't go to church with you, and that brings tension. Some of you are lonely in your own marriage, and you feel isolated and abandoned, even if you're living in the same house. Some of you have that loneliness because you're a widower or a widower, or you've lost your spouse. Some of you, you're in a marriage that's abusive, either verbally, spiritually, emotionally, physically, sexually. And if that's you, please reach out to our care ministry. We can help you get into safety, but we can also do whatever is possible for the best outcome of healing and hope for your marriage. For some of you, there are suspicions about infidelity. Some, it's just you've lost that loving feeling. Others, it's that your loving feeling was stolen by your children. You're now just partners in parenting. And often when the emptiness comes, those marriages fall apart. Some of you are married wishing you were single. Some of you are single wishing you were married. Some of you have gone through divorce and you're single again. I know there are a variety of kinds of marriages here. But I want to speak to men and women who are in marriage, in the commitment and bond of marriage and love, as we look at Ephesians 5, 22 to 33, and what it means for husbands and wives to be submitting to one another in reverence for Christ. Curtis will read Ephesians 5, 22 to 33 on the screen. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as a church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, there are two things that I want to begin with in this conversation. First, notice uh, Paul quotes from the creation story in Genesis, when God presents Eve to Adam and says in that first marriage, in that first wedding, that uniting of man and woman in marriage, he says, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. Uh, This is something, by the way, this concept of husbands and wives and family is not something that came after sin entered the human race. This was a part of the gift and blessing from God. This stuff goes into the early creation when God says it is good. 
And then the other thing that Paul points out to us in verse 32 is that the marriage relationship, the most intimate of human relationships where two become one, and there's to be this great love between them, is actually a living demonstration and picture of Christ's love for the church. How much did Christ love the church? He left heaven's glory as God the Son, encased himself in human flesh, lived among us, went to the cross. The passage says he sacrificed himself for us. And those two things are very important for us to understand this passage, and it helps us, again, to go back to say, this is talking about being controlled by the Spirit and how humility flows from being controlled by the Spirit and what that looks like in the marriage relationship. It says that wives are to submit to their own husbands in verse 22. It concludes about husbands. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He worked for the purity and beauty of the bride, the church. He's the bridegroom and the church is the bride and his love is focused sacrificially on what the church needs and what is best for the church and that needs to be the heart of the husband. Probably the, the, the final verse of this passage summarizes this mutual submission to one another, submitting to one another in reverence for Christ, verse 33, however, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. And it points out here, uh, you, you take care of your own body because you love yourself. You need to move that love off of yourself and make that the love with which you love your spouse as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. So what does this mean then in this relationship? Well, let me just say a couple of things what this has nothing to do with. This is not about dating relationships. This is not about relationships between men and women in the workplace. This is not about roles and functions in the church. This is not about value before God because men and women are created equal in every possible way. This is not about superiority over each other in gifting and men are gifted at this and women are gifted at that or, or in intelligence or in emotional health. This is not a power dynamic that's being discussed here. This is about the intimacy of the relationship between a man and a woman in marriage and how does humility show up? How do we as spouses wash one another's feet to the point that we put oxygen into the relationship for the other person to thrive and flourish as Christ and his kingdom would have us do? What does this say to wives? Well, make sure your husband feels significant through your sincere respect, your sincere respect for him. Make sure he feels significant in your sincere respect for him. Studies have been done over the years. What are the basic needs that men and women have? And all men and women need to feel significant, that they, they have a purpose for living, a meaning for their life. And then they need to feel secure and comfortable. And both secular and Christian research shows that men in general tilt toward the need of significance more than security, and women in general tilt more toward security than significance. I think that's why Paul emphasizes this here in the distinctions in how husbands and wives submit to one another before the Lord. It's clear here, it says that the man is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Now notice that even in the description of Christ being the head of the church, it's not that he's the boss and he's in control and he gets his way. It's about how much he loves his wife. I do believe that as a husband and a father, God is uniquely going to hold me as he held Adam and has held every husband. He's going to hold me uniquely responsible when I stand before him on judgment day for how I provided for and protected my family. There's unique responsibility. And wives, as you 
respect and honor your husband and, and help him feel significant in that and understand the responsibility that he has before the Lord. You cause him to have space to breathe and thrive in Christ as you make sure he feels significant in the relationship because of the responsibility he has before God. What does this mean for husbands? Husbands, make sure your wife feels secure through your selfless sacrifice for her. She feels secure through your selfless sacrifice for her. That you know that she knows you care for her and you care for the children. Isn't it interesting that while there are some, and I know some of you are single dads here and you've experienced the abandonment of a wife, our culture doesn't talk so much about deadbeat moms. It talks about deadbeat dads, right? God knew that men can easily become detached from the family. And that's why he's saying, you love your wife like Christ loved the church. Women honor their husbands, understand the responsibility they have before God, and that's how they submit to their husbands. And wives, or excuse me, husbands submit to their wives by making her his first and final earthly priority in love, in sacrifice, in her needs. I get really nervous when people say to me, you know, Ephesians 5 commands men to lead their homes. No, it doesn't. It says you're responsible for your home, but what it commands you to do is to love your wife like Christ loved the church. And men who go on power trips in this passage miss the whole point. If you're controlled by the Spirit of God as a man, you'll have humility. As a man, you will love your wife as Christ loved the church. That's how you lead. That's how you, you serve her, like Christ served the church. I also made, in all of these, I said, whether it was parents or children or superiors or subordinates, now with husbands and with wives, I, I use the word feel intentionally here. I remember Andy Stanley wrote a book where he said, he used to ask his wife regularly, especially on their anniversary or big moments like that, he'd say, now, honey, you know I love you. She'd say, yes, I know you love me. And a few years into that, um, he asked his wife, honey, you know I love you. And she said, yes, Andy, I know you love me. Ask me if I feel like you love me instead. Different question, right? And what Paul is emphasizing is, just like we know Christ loved us, we were singing about it in our praise, right? His grace and love for us. We're gonna sing about it as we conclude in a moment. Paul's saying, Wives, you submit to your husbands by loving them and respecting them and understanding their responsibility for God. And husbands, you respect your wife and you honor her and you submit to her by loving her with all you have, like Christ loved the church. It's just like employers, employees, and parents and children. This is a mutual submission to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's a part of being controlled by the Holy Spirit. Liz and I have been married 31 years, 10 months, and 15 days today. It's been quite a journey. This is us on our wedding day, June 30th, 1990. I was the same height and about 80 pounds lighter. <laughs> but we've had a dance over the years. We've learned. Some people say, well, you know, the wife is supposed to clean the house, do the laundry, buy the groceries, make the meals. The husband's supposed to take care of the finances, fix the car, make sure everything's working at the house. And those are the divisions of the responsibilities. And that's not how it is with Leslie and me. Leslie does it all. <laughs> no, we have, a, we have a mixed match of those things because we've learned in our dance who's better at what. 
I, numbers and me don't go too well together. And so she does some of the financial stuff and I do some of the other stuff. And this is about a dance. It's not about these, these stereotypical roles and it's not about power trips by one gender over another. This is about mutual submission as we are submitted to the control of the Holy Spirit in our lives. There will be joy and gratitude and humility. It'll show up in the workplace. It'll show up in our families. It'll show up in our marriages. When the Holy Spirit completely controls us, humility permeates our everyday relationships in such a way that we're known more for stooping down to serve others. Are you known for stooping down to serve your boss or those who work for you? Are you known for stooping down to serve your child or stooping down to serve your parent? Are you known as a wife for stooping down to serve your husband? Are you as a husband known for stooping down to serve your wife? This is Christ-likeness. This is his kingdom stuff that we're to live out. Are you known as a foot washer in your everyday relationships? We're to be submitting to one another in reverence to Christ. It only happens when we yield our thoughts, our attitudes, our relationships, and our behaviors to the control of the Holy Spirit every day. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, don't be selfish, don't try to impress others, be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Each day this week, if you leave the house or you, you go online, if you don't leave the house to go to work, <laughs> as you get up in the morning, just say, help me to be a foot washer to the people in my everyday relationships. Help me to be a foot washer at work. Help me to be a foot washer in the home. Help me be a foot washer in my marriage. Help me to know how to best love my husband. How to, help me to know, Lord, how to best love my spouse. Ask God to make you aware of moments that you can serve others in your everyday relationships, yield yourself to the spirit of God's control and see what he does with you. Oh, the world is longing to see the reality of Christ lived out in the followers of Christ, even in our everyday relationships. I wanted to teach about Jesus being a foot washer when I was in college and I was teaching at a Christian camp. And, and so I got the Bible out to John 13 to teach that passage. And I really want to know what it meant to do the lowest thing possible for someone else and to pour into them and to serve them, even when it was disgusting and gross. And, and so I started telling the story about how Jesus was washing the dusty, dirty, manure-covered feet of his disciples in the upper room and what a servant he was. And I was really into it. And I brought up a little boy I knew he'd be great. His name was John because his parents were on staff at the camp and I knew his feet were always disgusting. And so I took the shoes and socks off of John and had a pitcher of water and a basin and I got my towel from my room and wrapped it around me and I was trying to teach this and, and he's up in the chair and I've taken the shoes off and sand and dirt fall or sweaty. It's in the evening. It was, his feet were smelly and this is really gonna teach them. And I turn, and I've got my Bible open, and I'm teaching, and all of a sudden, from behind me, I hear, hachoo! And the kids, these elementary-age kids at this camp are just laughing, a couple hundred kids just laughing. And the lady I taught with, a friend of mine, she's in the back, and she's just laughing. And I slowly turn around, and there's John sitting there, this little cute boy with big brown eyes, five years old, and he has sneezed, and he has stuff from his nose to his hands. And he's going, ha, 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 And stuff is everywhere. 
And so I'm just rambling. I got to teach this passage of what it means to serve and do one of the lowest tasks you can think of for someone else. And so I said to his sister, Amy, who was nine years old, Amy, get up, take your brother into the bathroom, clean him up. We'll sing a couple songs, bring him back, and then I'll show you what it means to serve one another. And she cleaned him up and brought him back. I washed his feet. As I was walking back to the house I stayed in on the camp, the Lord just, the Holy Spirit just hit me upside the head. You didn't do what you were trying to teach them to do. And there was an opportunity right before you. Ask God to give you opportunities to serve the people you work with. Ask God to give you opportunities to serve your children, whether they're in the house or they're grown. Ask God to give you opportunities to serve your spouse this week. Let's be like Jesus in our everyday relationships. We'll be foot washers of those around us. Father, thanks for this passage. Thanks for the example of Christ and his humility. Be glorified in and through our lives. Open our eyes, make us aware. Show us those moments where we can extend love and grace and help and support and service to someone we work with, to someone in our home, to our very own spouse. Even if there's tension, help us to find ways to pump oxygen into those spaces of our everyday relationships through humility and service like Christ. Our world has a whole different system of power and control and you call us to serve and help us to be servants to the people we care about and that we interact with every day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.